Welcome to From X to Z, the ultimate cross-generational conversation on health, wellness, and self-care. Guided by inspiring Gen Z trailblazers and expert voices. I'm your host, Vicki Cornwall. Get ready for eye-opening insights and actionable tips that transform your life. Welcome to another inspiring episode of the From X to Z podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Cornwall, and today we have a remarkable guest joining us. Meet Daniel Ojo, a 23-year-old Nigerian-American and master's in public administration graduate from Cornell University. Daniel is a racial equity practitioner and a passionate advocate for social justice and human rights. Daniel's journey into social impact started as a student leader at the University of North Texas. From there, he embarked on an incredible career, becoming the Director of Impact Strategies and Culture at Juve Consulting, a Gen Z digital marketing consultancy. Throughout his career, whether through activism or social impact marketing campaigns with Fortune 500 companies, Daniel remains steadfast in his goal, impact with intention. His professional, personal, and academic experiences fuel his commitment to amplifying marginalized communities and fostering transformation through powerful storytelling and narrative change. Today, we'll dive deep into his experiences, advocacy, and insights into racial equity, social justice, and human rights. I'm very excited to amplify Daniel's voice and message. Join us as we engage in a thought-provoking conversation with Daniel Ojo, exploring his journey and the inspiring ways he's making a difference in the lives of Gen Z and beyond. Let's get started. Welcome, Daniel, to From X to Z. Thank you. Thank you. Very happy to be here. I'm happy to share community and space with you. So, And I've heard great things about you already from, like you said, Africa. So very, very happy to be here with you. All right. So tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm really excited to have you here. And we've talked about the really interesting areas that we're going to get into like later on in the conversation. But I want to start out just by talking a little bit about you and learning about you. The work you do now that you're helping companies kind of lead with equity? Yes. So my official title, like in the role I do um, at the company I work for is the director of impact strategy and culture. Okay. And a lot of that is it's, it's, a so, it's social impact oriented. So helping build cultural competence and equity with our clients, with our internal teams. Um, and that really looks like shaping out like what multicultural marketing moments look like for folks, okay. mm-hmm. um, how to really amplify young, diverse voices in a way that's equitable, in a way that doesn't feel tokenizing. And I have like a clear call to action for what, for what community action looks like for these for marginalized folks. Um, and I kind of do this through this like larger sociocultural lens of like, here's what Gen Z is talking about. Here are the trends that we're talking about. But like, why do these trends exist? Like, how do they exist in like a larger political zeitgeist? And what can mm-hmm. we do to move forward? Um, so that's kind of like how, like, that's like my little methodology behind the work that I do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's all like social impact uh, marketing. And then be previously was like really helping uh, raise like, uh, cultural awareness around like racial equity, cultural competence in like school districts, government capacities, et cetera. Um, so that's what, I, that's, what I, that's what I do. What does the term social cultural anthropology in the digital age really mean? Right. (laughs) Um, So the best way I can describe it is like how people are acting, where their actions come from, why they, why they're acting that way. And then what does that mean in a larger scheme? Like in in the grand scheme of things, what does it actually mean? And then what does it mean for the future? So I think right now, and until in the digital age right now, it's really about like, how does this take place online? So if people are like trying 
the fufu challenge, right? And where people are going around and trying to eat Nigerian food, right? So that's a that's a challenge that exists on TikTok, right? It was very short lived, but mm. I, I like to analyze that and say, okay, well, why do people try the fufu challenge, right? Like, what was like, what does that actually say about Gen Z culture more largely? Does it indicate that we're a more global generation and that hyperconnectivity has allowed us to become more global citizens and embrace each other in different ways? What does the evolution of a fufu challenge look like across different industries, across uh, reality TV, right? What is this, what is this global mindset? Right. How does how is that uh, permeate in, in other industries? So that's what I think the culture, the sociocultural anthropology is like. Where does it where does it come from? What's happening now? Where is it going? And how can this relate to other industries? Yeah, thank you for breaking that down for us. Of course. <laughs> are, are you doing now what you kind of thought you you would be doing? Oh no, <laughs> no, no. Uh, when I was five, I was gonna be a, pedi- a pediatrician. Oh okay. Yeah, I heard it in a book at in school. I was like, oh, mom, I want to be a baby doctor. And she was like, oh, perfect. So up until 10th grade, she was like, you said you want to be a baby doctor. Like, you have to be a pediatrician. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that anymore. Um, and then I entertained the idea of, like, musical theater for a little bit. Let's not get into that one. <laughs> um, entertained the idea of musical theater. So doctor, musical theater, and then... <laughs> And then I felt I was going to be the next to Barack Obama at some point in between that. Oh, I was okay. like, you know what? Yeah, I saw him be inaugurated. I, I think I've moved a bit away from the policy world. Uh, I graduated just like in May with my degree in policy and uh, public administration. And I thought I was going to be like the next Obama. I was going to do the whole like senator thing. I'm going to run for president one day. Um, and I was really inspired by watching him be inaugurated as well, like mm-hmm. as an eight-year-old and like growing up in like South Jersey. Um but I just knew, I was like, you know what, I, I, when I got to grad school and a little before then, I was like, I don't really think policy is where I'm going to exist for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm happy it's not. <laughs> so, yeah, so definitely did not think I was, I'd be now doing social impact marketing and like Gen Z marketing right, in this capacity, right. but it's all connected in some way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of being connected, um, let's talk about, your, you know, your experiences growing up and how, you know the things that you might have experienced growing up, how that impacts, how that impacted, you know, where you, what you're doing now and how that early awareness of, of like racial dynamics and et cetera, like influenced your perspective and your activism. Yeah. Um, without like diving all the way into my, uh, <laughs> my life story. Um, I grew up in South Jersey. My mom's divorced. My parents are divorced. Uh, lived with my mom in South Jersey and I have <clears throat> four siblings and we were, like the one of the only black families in our town, I think like one of five black families, um, not and that's also including our cousins that also lived in, in that oh, town. Oh wow! Oh. Yeah, <laughs> and my mom was like one of like the first like black homeowner or the only black homeowner like in our actual neighborhood. Okay. Um, so I was really just aware of like our like racial identity from a young age, and like I said, because like lived in a very racially homogenous environment, mm-hmm. and I was remember being four years old and hearing. Um, someone who I not, will not m- mention the name, but someone who like said to me at, at, when I was four, like, no black people playing in the kitchen. And I was like, black people? Who's that? Like, I was like, what is black people? Like, I literally, I had no clue. I mean, I knew I right. looked different, but I didn't right. know that was like an actual marker or something that like I should be aware of. Um, so that was like something that I like, was like, wait, that's weird. Like, I did not know that that was like, um, that was a thing. And oh, we have a friend. <laughs> um but yeah, I, I had no clue that like I was black or that those was also something that, that would other me in some capacity. Um, but I also didn't know my mom was undocumented for most of my life as well. 
Um, so I kind of knew about like our immigration background and like the hardships we have to navigate in terms of accessing resources, what we would and wouldn't disclose about our home life because of my mom's immigration status. So I've always been very aware of like these like political things I didn't really understand, but I always seemed like there was something that was outside of my control that had to do with like my race and immigration that like had an impact on my family dynamic. Um, and I think throughout my life, I've always been like a very like social justice inclined person maybe not even from a point of altruism but from a point of like survival because like I knew that like talking about these different social issues was like a direct benefit to like my life and like my family's like well-being so I've always been a very politically like active or at least a politically aware person in that way and um my knowledge and love for this really grew when I was able to like identify that like this existed be outside of just me and like outside of just like this one policy is it's interconnected with like other policies and like global history and like and I think that's where the kind of like that sociocultural anthropologic love comes from is like, how is my oppression, how's my experience linked to someone else's across the world and what can we do about it? So that's kind of like how my, my lived experiences like has heavily impacted and like predisposed me to be this person. Right, right. You know, when we talked earlier on, you mentioned experiencing imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and, um, and actually internalizing self-hate. And I have to tell you that you know, I definitely relate to that. I, I I definitely recall, you know, as I was going through my development process, mm-hmm. having those same types of thoughts and feelings about, you know, myself and having grown up in an environment where I was one of a very few who looked like me, yeah. right? So I can totally empathize and, and relate to you when you talk about that. But um, how, how did you o- overcome these challenges and, and cultivate a sense of um, radical self-love. I love that term, radical self-love. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, how did I overcome? I think therapy helped a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I started going to therapy my junior year of undergrad and that like, was really great. I think, one, when you're able to name an issue, it becomes so much, like the pathway forward becomes so much more clear. And I think that was the issue I had. I um, speak about the first time I actually learned about like what like institutionalized racism was or systemic racism was was I was in 10th grade and I was like oh my gosh wait a minute like mm. racism is not just people not liking me because I'm black if there's like a larger like system at play and I think that was one a key to unlocking like okay so some of the things I'm experiencing just aren't because of me and I, a lot of that like so a lot of that pressure or like um anxiety was like alleviated and then in therapy I was able to unpack like okay well how did growing up in a predominantly white area impact your like sense of self right like I had friends literally tell me like oh like you're my friend but I don't want to touch you because I don't want to get my black like you're black on me Mm. as a kid like you know you develop like thick skin really early on so I never even realized that that was something that that had affected me or like teachers that like physically would not hug me and I would see hug other students right right? like that like like uh touched like being touched or like like that the uh like deprivation of like touch or whatever it's called. Like I was like, I've not, I don't have that privilege of like just like experiencing community in the same ways. And when I was able to like identify that and it's like, Oh wait, this thing actually impacted me and remove my like self from that. And like, okay, well this is not because something's wrong with you. Right. Something's wrong with how people think something's wrong with like the world more systemically. And that's why this is happening. It was like, okay, well, how do I now combat that? If it was like, okay, well, you didn't have to hate yourself because nothing was wrong with you in the first place. Mm-hmm. You just mm-hmm. were in an environment that wasn't loving towards you. And that was like, I think like really the way I'm like, and I'm still unlearning, of course, again, I'm not like completely like 
trauma free or like racial trauma free, but right. that has right. really impacted like how I see myself and just know that like this is not about me. Like what what I'm this is this has nothing to do with me. Has everything to do with you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think and, and that kind of mindset has, has helped in a, in, a, in a big way. Yeah. And is that the advice you would give to like to to you know someone younger than you coming up maybe that might be going through a similar situation? Yeah, I think my advice. Wow, I actually never thought about that. <laughs> like the advice. <laughs> Um, I think the advice I would give others is like just constantly be introspective and like continue to ask why and where is this coming from? Like there have been some feedback I've received around like me and how I present myself, which has been like, this has nothing to do with me. This is, Mm -hmm. this is you protecting insecurities. Other times it's, oh, well maybe I should be more aware of how I'm coming across. Right. I think there is a balance and I think self-reflection and be like honest with yourself and also just like, constantly educating yourself on like what is and what isn't um existent in in certain spaces like people i always think have like this like obsession with like making black women humble right and like humbling black women and, mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. being like oh you have to be humble you have to be humble and i'm like wait a minute is someone being cocky or are you just not used to seeing someone present themselves in this way and you're not expecting it from them right um so just like knowing that that is even a thing that like a conversation that's even being had helps we like, re- like readjust your mindset yeah so i think i would say yeah. staying educated and then like being self-aware and like always self-reflecting and, and trying to improve yourself. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a very good, uh, very good advice. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that at times you felt like you were becoming the stereotype that people projected onto you. And it's interesting, you know, when we talked, you kind of mentioned like that's, that's like a thing that that's actually <laughs> a commonplace thing. I, I did not even, I wasn't aware of that. Tell yeah. me more about that. Yeah, so um, I believe it's called stereotype threat. I learned about this in like my psychology of race class, like my junior of undergrad education. Again, like I, I think I yeah, think saying is yeah. key, um, but that was something I was going through. Educate and, us right now, come on. <laughs> okay, so um, something I mentioned like before, and like even this idea of imposter syndrome was like I didn't. I was not a great high school student. I graduated high school transparently with like a two point three GPA because I didn't care, right? And I've always been right. like a like I, I liked learning, right? I liked education. I think that hasn't changed but I just would not perform well. And I just like self-consciously had this idea or subconsciously had this idea of like, people think I'm stupid. Like people, like, I was mm. like, people think I'm stupid for some, mm. for whatever reason it is, people don't think I'm good enough. And I didn't believe that until one day in my AP US history class, I said something, we got to talk about whatever we wanted. And I spoke about like the war on drugs and I gave this like elaborate explanation of how like that's like impacted black communities today. And someone goes, oh my gosh, Ojo's actually smart. And I was like, um, I knew it. <laughs> um, and mm. in that moment, it had validated to me. And I was like, yeah. one of like the, one of eight um, kids who like took like predominantly AP classes in high school. And I was like, okay, I knew it. Like, I knew people thought I was stupid. And when I learned about stereotype threat, it's this idea of like people will socialize you based off of their own like stereotypes they have of you, and you will actually become that because that is like the environment that is like they've created for you. So the analogy of like, if you walk into a building and someone clutches their purse and moves across the sidewalk from you, you like, because they believe like, oh, this person's a threat to me. You will then maybe exhibit some kind of hostile behavior because you're like, what? Like, why did you just move away from me? Why are you clutching your purse? So you'll actually begin to like validate for them what they've initially thought about you. And like, it perpetuates that same cycle. Mm -hmm. And that was something I was going through where I was like, just being more aggressive. I was underperforming in school because right. I was internalizing those stereotypes that were being placed on me. So how did you begin the process of, of like unlearning and, and challenging those, those stereotypes that you've been internalizing? 
it's a struggle every day. I think the stereotypes change as you get older. I'm yeah. sure you can relate yeah. like, in a professional setting as well, right? Now it's like, am I being too hostile? Like, am I being too like uh, con- contrarian? Like, do I need to change my tone? Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes transparently, I will still walk into a conversation just like being like, they're not going to believe me. Like uh, whatever I say, they're not going to believe me, right? Especially working right. in, in right. Gen Z marketing and being in a Gen Z run company. It's like, they're not going to believe me because I'm too young. They're not going to believe me because I'm black or because of whatever, whatever mm-hmm. stigma there is. Um, but I think it's a lot of it. It's like, again, like just detaching myself and being like, okay, well, is what you're saying factual? Are you speaking from your heart? Are, are you leading with, with good intention? And trying to really like, a lot of that is just, a lot, it's too anxiety producing, right? And I'm just like, yes. it's like I, I, can't, yes. I can't control what I can't control. I can't control how someone's going to perceive me. I can like lead the best way I can. And then whatever happens from that, happen from that and I'll be able to take it accordingly um so it, it really is like an everyday thing of like trying to remind myself of like I can't assume the worst of everyone because that's what I'm assuming that they're going to do to me as well so just like letting go and then whatever happens is kind of we'll see <laughs> is, is really what I yeah, my approach is absolutely it, it's interesting because you, you know some of the the classes that you've taken and and things that you've read and and um professors that you've you know you've had teach you mm-hmm. This, this is very unique um, and not many people have that opportunity. Yeah. Um, so I just, I think it's really great that you're using that to, you know, change your, your, your narrative of, of what you might've thought of yourself at one point in time in your life and, and really evolve yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is super, like, that's super important. I feel like that is a privilege that I that's know right. many people yeah. do not have, right? Like I was able to go to like, university and like learn these things right but i've also also say this like kind of like tailor my education so in a way of like this would make sense right so i took a class um about like human development and family psychology mm-hmm. um and it was like about the impact of like culture on families and society and that's when i learned about all the isms and all the stereotype threats and all of that good stuff but that really allowed me to like be a better person myself and lead with empathy and like unlearn some of the biases that i even had that i didn't even know i had and like right. I was doing like the whole student activism thing, social justice warrior. And then someone's like, oh, well, you have benevolent misogyny. And I'm like, me? I'm like, I'm a feminist. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I was literally saying today at work of like, I've been a feminist since like 10th grade. When Beyonce put feminism in a song, I was like, oh, that's me. You know, like, but it's it's a lot lot of that is super uncomfortable, like having to challenge them from being like benevolent misogyny. Like that can't be me. Like, no, I love women. Like I, I was raised by a single mom. Like there's no way. Um, so a lot of that was uncomfortable. I'm so, so, so grateful for like the folks that like I've been able to be in community with and like for the education I had to better myself and like to also like pay it forward, right? I know not everyone's right. gonna be, you know, everyone's gonna have the same opportunities or even like, for example, if you're in like computer science, right? You might not have a class around like uh, artificial intelligence and like discrimination or racial bias within like AI, right? So mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. but that's something I was able to learn. So maybe I can like educate someone else, right? And like, or just exactly. have, or just have folks at least be on their radar and do the investigation work themselves. So I'm really, really grateful for like that educational component because I feel like that's helped me so much in my personal journey. And like, I just want to pay it forward in whatever way I can. That's great. Talking about paying it forward. Um, have you noticed any broader ripple effects within your family as a result of your own healing journey? And it's interesting because typically we think about like, you know, your elders passing information down, but, you know, I think there's a great opportunity here for you to educate up. Yeah, a thousand percent. So transparently, like when I, my first year of grad school, I, I found out I had ADHD 
And yeah. that's one of those things where I was like, oh, I knew I had ADHD. I saw Adam yeah. Lambert do a commercial, I think, of, of, or Adam Levine, one of, the, one of them. I saw a commercial about it when I was in seventh grade, and I was like, that sounds like me. But my mom, again, like first generation American immigrant parents, they're like, nah, you're being lazy. Like, that's not a thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you just, like, you just talk too much. That's it. You just talk too much. Um, and like learning that, right? And like learning, oh, like I have ADHD and like this is like a symptom of this thing or here's how, how I can get better. I think that was also super transformational for me of being like, okay, I wasn't a bad student. I just needed an extra accommodation to get me to where everyone else needed to be. Um, right, right. And even be, being able to teach that to my parents and be like, hey, like, mom, like, did you know like this is a thing? Like, if you have like these symptoms, this could be this thing, right? It, it, you know, like it's like genetic or hereditary. Like right. perhaps it's something like you like you might struggle with and her being like, yeah, I might. Or like even anxiety, right? Like as like an immigrant, right. as an immigrant herself, like she's, and I'm documented at that, like, right? She's been in this country since the 80s, the early 80s, mm-hmm. received her first, her green card for the first time in like October, 2020, right? So there's like, you live, when you live in a state of anxiety your whole life about like what could happen to you and your family and your children, you kind of don't really think about it, right? So you just develop all like mm-hmm. all of like the physical elements that are associated with anxiety, and then oh, mom, like maybe your stomach hurts because you have anxiety, or maybe like your like your like your chest right. hurts because you're anxious. And I learned like black people, and when I was an undergrad, uh, or people of color predominantly exhibit like stress and anxiety through physical symptoms, and I had no clue that was a thing. And until I like landed myself in an ER one night studying, and I was like, "What's going on?" And they're like, "Are you stressed out?" Mm. and I was like yeah of course I'm stressed out like <laughs> like I'm studying for constitutional law every day um but even like things like that I was able to like, kind of like dig oh mom did you know that like physical sit like the back pain right like a lot of like black folks complain about black of like back pain and that is a symptom of like stress and anxiety that I had no clue about um so just like learning those things has really been able to right. like, allow my mom to kind of like put a name to the issues that she's going through and have able to educate her and open her mind and also, like, actually seek, like, healing and help for the things that she actually yes. does need. Because I think that is something, that, again, like, folks are just like, oh, I need to work harder. I need to, I need to like, push myself more. I'm like, no, you actually just need to heal. Like, or you, be, you actually just need to mm-hmm, rest. Mm-hmm. And that's been, like, something I've seen, like, happen across, like, my parents or, like, my siblings as well. Like, being like, oh, like, perhaps you have ADHD, too. Or, like, perhaps, like, you're, ha- you're having anxiety. If I knew if I had this experience growing up in, like, a predominantly white area in New Jersey... I can only imagine what you went through, right? Like going through middle school and high school there. Like there's a lot of trauma that I had to unpack for the short amount of time that I was there versus you were there for longer. I think all that introspection that I'm doing and sharing with them is able to like allow them to kind of like open that gateway for themselves too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. Have you recognized the impact of your mental well-being and have put in place, you know, actionable, uh, elements in your life to kind of help you get through that yeah yeah it's been it's been like really it's been hard honestly because i'm like i but it's also been a great motivator in that like i'm like okay well i know i need to do i need to be better i need, I need to like be the best i can be both like yeah. academically professionally but also just like absolutely as a human being because like that is also my, what my parents came to the country for right Let's absolutely absolutely and that's been something i'm like actively trying to like now that i'm done with the grad school, right? Like I completed all like the vanity metrics that my parents needed me to do, which is totally fine. I get it. First generation American, I get it. Um, but <laughs> now also being like, okay, well, they also want me to be like, take, they also like take my mental health seriously, right? And I took a three week trip, right? I was in Angola. I was in Europe for uh, for a few, for a few weeks. and like, just like unplugging right? and relaxing. And like, right. my, my mom is like, yeah, do that. She's like, you need to, you, you need to rest. And even like hearing messaging like that now is like very different from like what we've heard growing up. 
but it's right. just because of that emphasis now and like we now see like the impacts of these things and how they can actually harm people yeah and you think that this has helped contribute to your personal growth a thousand percent a thousand percent um and i think everything happens that like when it's supposed to happen i don't think i was like on this like very self healing self care yeah. journey like when i was an undergrad for sure, for sure and i'm also still very young um but yeah i definitely do think it's it's really helped in like terms of my self growth of like when i just learn to let go mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i'm so opinionated as i'm sure as you can tell i'm a libra <laughs> <laughs> and as a libra libra's like the social justice sign so i'm like no i have to say it i have to say it like i have to and sometimes i'm like this movement whatever like cause i'm fighting for is not going to start and stop with me. So like, let it go. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you can't do everything for everyone. And also like, you're not helping yourself either. Like, you know, like the, the situations that I, I create sometimes out of all that passion, it's like, learn to kind of like unplug or just like relax. And I think that's really helped in terms of just like maturing a, a bit more too and not feeling like I have to speak up about every single thing or always like voice my opinion. It's like, sometimes I'm like, let's level set. No one needs to hear this right now. So leave it alone. <laughs> I love that about the, like you learned that about yourself though. You, you, you know, yeah. it's like self-regulation. Yeah. And I think it like it happened in a super extreme way. So I can know of like what, like what conversations should be brought up. I think mm-hmm. some people also value it, but also now knowing like, if you're always being that person, you're also putting yourself up like at risk a lot, right. Or making yourself super vulnerable to yeah. things. And like yeah. that also doesn't have a great impact on it either. So it's kind of like, if you're choosing to be a leader, you also have to be aware of like how vulnerable you're making yourself and also learn like when to lead and also when to be led by others who are also in the space. I think that's been like in the last, like I would say two to three years is something I'm really, really yeah. living on like the ebb and flow of. Oh, I love that. This is, this is good for me. I'm taking this in see, <laughs> for my own personal growth. I appreciate it. Thank you I'm for glad. sharing. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> um, how do you see your generation, Gen Z's approach to social change and advocacy evolving compared to previous generations in a lot of different ways i think that first of all building from what other generations have done before us right and like i think sometimes people give the sick gen z the sick rap of like oh they think they're starting at all but like they don't know where this comes from and i'm like i don't think i think like everything just evolves right like there's been like a natural progression and i think that the gen z's approach to a lot of social issues is just a bit more radical because mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. life has like rapidly deteriorated a lot and like in the amount of time that like we've been alive right so like there's like so that like the impact right has been like very like right. condensed versus other generations because like, we've lived through like 9-11 right and then we like watch our parents get, like, get lit off in 08 then we like had a global pandemic then we like started a black lives matter movement <laughs> then we had global warming i'm like what like it's too much in a very short period of time because yes. to be clear to be clear of course things have happened in the world continuously over yeah. time yeah but in a very short period of time there's been some rather impactful things that have happened in your lifetime yeah. extremely impactful and i think it happens at ages in which we're like really it's like we're still developing right like mm-hmm. i listed all like i've experienced all the things i mentioned firsthand and I'm 23, right? My brain, my brain even hasn't even fully developed yet, like as a, as a human being. So I That's think right. all of That's that true. has like really shaped my outlook on life. And I'm like, well, I can't wait for like a more slow progress moving change because yesterday was COVID. Today it's this thing. Like, I don't know what's, you know, tomorrow's, it could be a whole another thing. And I think Gen Z is just so much more like apologetic and radical in their approach. And I don't think mm. we always get it right. But I think it's all, it, I think where we move to, even when people like talk about like cancel culture, right? Like, oh my God, Gen Z is so extreme. 
I'm like, perhaps we get it wrong in execution sometimes, but like what we're saying and like what we're actually pushing towards is like we like how like how serious we're taking it is exactly like is the level of severity that it needs to be taken with. And yeah, I think I, love that. I think like us being like flailing and like doing all these things, it's because like well we need to like let everyone know like this is not this isn't normal, right? Like we've lived and like if anyone should be like more accustomed to it, it should be the folks who are like used to it, right? We're used to this trauma and chaos that's happened in our lives, but we know it's not how the how it's not supposed to be and we don't want it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of like the key difference I see is like the sense of urgency and like um just like no like this like lack of like regard for like what tradition is anymore. We're like, I don't care about a Roth IRA or 401k, <laughs> I could die tomorrow, right? And we want and unfortunately we watched a lot of our friends pass away like during COVID, right? We we've missed out on huge yeah. opportunities. Yeah. So we're like so much just more belligerent in our approach. And I really value that because I think that is kind of what gets people's attention, right? Everyone's talking about Gen Z, how do you show up for Gen Z, et cetera, et cetera, because we have been relentless in the ways that we've um, that we've talked about these issues. But again, it's all built on the work that's been done by folks in, in these spaces before. And nothing's, we're not reinventing the world. We're just like adding some buzz whistles to it. I love that. Okay. Okay. Um, when we talked before, you 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 had this phrase, I, and I, I loved it. I wrote it down. Um, the concept of internalizing, metabolizing, and acting. Mm. And I just wondering, how does this approach you, you think play a role in um, in you know someone going through personal healing and in creating positive change in society? Yeah, um, I think I would take my uh, my family dynamic as a good example. Okay. of folks who've just like had like a wide array of experiences and how those experiences impact like our own journey. So I know that my journey has been very different from my sibling's journey, my parents' journey, even though we've experienced very like similar things in, in, some, in some capacities. Mm-hmm. And I think in terms of like healing and self-awareness and like this like journey of like self-healing is like, okay, well, this experience happened to me, right? So I'm internalizing it. How do I metabolize this? Like, what, what does this make me feel about myself? Right? I talk about like internalized self hate. Am I going to become more angry? I could, and that's a rational progression of thought of like, people did this thing to me. I'm angry, and now I'm going to act on that right. anger. Right. And I don't fault folks for doing that because that's like a normal human process, right? But I think with more knowledge or with more like access to information, I'm like, someone hurt me. Someone I had this adverse experience. I metabolize this as. This is an issue that is larger than myself. What am I going to do about it? Right. So I'm going to educate others. I'm going to tell people about why this was wrong and how we can move forward in this way. Um, and I think my my degree is in it's a public administration degree, and I feel like that's like it's really about like okay, what's the pathway forward? Diagnose the issue. What's the pathway forward? Yeah. And I think that's I, I think I chose a degree like that because that's kind of like how I see things. It's like this is my, this is the issue I've, I've experienced. This is how what I think about it. This is how I know I can act. How do I create a pathway forward that also doesn't just like help folks like me who like can metabolize and have this understanding, but also like an equitable way for everyone who might not even like, who might choose like the more violent approach or the more belligerent approach to also get to the path they actually need for that self-healing and self-discovery as well. Right. So that's kind of like how I, how I see that process of like internalizing it, saying what this means to me, and then choosing what to do from that information. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. What advice do you have for your fellow Gen Z listeners um, 
who might feel overwhelmed by the need for radical change and the pressure to do better. I mean, there's, there's a lot of pressure out there, right? Yeah. Um, how do you think they can channel their, their passion and energy into something productive in that? Um... I think the advice I would give is just to continue to lead with like good intention. And I think the hardest thing in terms of like, as a Gen Zero, but like also working in space and trying to help corporations and companies move towards a more equitable approach to how they view Gen Zers as well, and like diverse Gen Zers specifically, I think the hardest thing is like not being believed. And especially when it's about your own lived experience, right? And you know how bad things are. And you're like, no, like this is like something's going wrong. Like this is an issue. And people are being like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. That's so frustrating. Like <laughs> that is, that's like, it's a, it's so, so frustrating. I think it also like can be channeled in a negative way, right? I'm like, I'm like, I don't care. I don't want to hold community with folks anymore. Like I'm done with this. Like, you know, and, and it just, it creates a lot more like um, tension and contention between the folks you're around. And I think that like, once I continue to lead and just know like, I'm, I'm not a bad person, right? I'm not like, I'm not ill-informed, right? Like right. I know, like I know what I'm, what, what I'm doing. So like lead with, lead with that great intention, but then also know when to just like chill. It's and okay not, to do that. Right? It's okay to just chill and not in a way of like, don't push for what you're working towards anymore. But also just like I said, know that this movement will not start and stop with you. Like, mm-hmm. and I think this idea of like, when I look back at like the civil rights movement, right? And we have these leaders and I, and I think one of the, one of the things I wish I could, we could do, we, I, we could, if I could go back in time, right? I would have democratized the civil rights movement, right? I would have had so many more leaders. I would have had people on like different fronts, kind of how you run a business, right? Because we don't want one person just running just running the show because if that person passes away, if that person has wrong attentions, whatever the case is, right. the movement starts and stops with them, right? right? right, right. And I, so I always think it's super important. And also like as Gen Z is now, we are like building platforms and careers off of our passions, which is really great, right? I'm fortunate enough to yes. do something similar but also know when to give the platform up to the next person. I think it's super easy to like have, to be incentivized by money, by brand deals, by sponsorships, to be the thought leader in the space and then mm-hmm. like monopolize that space. But like, and and again, like speaking firsthand experience, I'm like, that was exactly the path that like would be the most beneficial to me and my family. If I'm like, oh, right. I am the voice of Gen Z central culture. <laughs> right, like, you know, right, like right. that would be like perfect. But I'm also like, I know that what the actual cause is that, that we're fighting for, that Gen Z, the causes that Gen Z is moving towards, I'm aware that this cannot start and stop with me. And I know that I need to like give up my seat, right? So if it's me and if it's me and another Black woman in the room and I've talked the whole time, I'm like, I'm not going to say anything anymore. Even, even if it's the best point, I'm like, let me stop talking. Because <laughs> there's someone else that, 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 pro- that needs that space. Right. And I think that that is one advice I'd give is like continue to lead with passion, right? Be fervent in everything that you do, but also know when to rest for yourself, but also when to give it up for someone else. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that is how you actually like get the things that you need. You don't want to be the first and only, right? That's right. Like, we, we're, yeah, we've, right, we've right. gotten all the first this, the first that. Now we want more than that, right? We want a more community like, based approach. And I feel like that is something that I just want to see more Gen Zers doing. And love how Gen Z is already thinking in a more community-oriented way, anyways. But just more, more of that of of, of that approach. Well, Daniel, I have to say, um, whether you're the the last or not, um, you're, the voice that you are bringing uh, to these to these 
particular issues in its platform. Um, it, it's really amazing. It is really amazing. It's, a, it's, it's refreshing. It's um, amazingly mature. And um, I'm, I'm super excited to see uh, where you, where you, where you go as, as you continue on your career. <laughs> that is so sweet. Thank you so much. I really, really, really appreciate that. I like genuinely really grateful. Thank you. No, I appreciate, I appreciate you being here again. Like I've taken a lot from this. I'm sure that the listeners are going to take a lot from this. I, I just think this is, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you for being here. I appreciate thank, it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. So um, if uh, listeners want to, you know, check you out a little bit more, where, where can they find you? What's, uh, what are your, what are your handles? Um, LinkedIn, it's Daniel Ojo. That's O-J-O. Uh, like Instagram is Daniel underscore Ojo. And also on my website, OjoNYC.com. For more about me, the products I've worked on and like what I do um, as an independent consultant too. All right. All right. I definitely suggest that people check you out. Thank you. All right. Thank, thank you, so you Daniel. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. In this enlightening episode. We dove deep into the world of social culture and anthropology with Daniel Ojo, exploring how people's actions, origins, and motivations intertwine in the digital age. Daniel shared how he overcame imposter syndrome and cultivated a sense of radical self-love, realizing that he wasn't the problem, but rather it was a larger system at play. Therapy and education about systemic racism played pivotal roles in his transformation empowering him to navigate a path of personal growth and advocacy. We also uncovered Daniel's interesting educational journey and how he learned about the impact of culture on families and society, delving into concepts like benevolent misogyny and understanding the balance of leadership and vulnerability. Daniel offers valuable insights for listeners seeking to make a positive impact on the world. Gen Z's approach to social change and advocacy is examined revealing a more radical and unapologetic stance. Despite not always getting it right, Daniel emphasizes the seriousness with which Gen Z tackles pressing issues, condensing the impact of their ever-changing world. As we conclude this episode, Daniel leaves us with his advice for Gen Zers. Lead with good intentions, educate others, and create new pathways. Until next time, take care. And let's keep pushing boundaries and sparking change together. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Be sure to click the follow button on your podcast app to stay updated on our latest releases. Connect with us on Instagram and YouTube at From X to Z Podcast for more exciting content. We'd love to hear from you. So feel free to reach out with your questions and topic suggestions for future episodes. I'm your next host, Vicki. And you've just enjoyed From X to Z, the podcast that bridges the generations.